The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. hope that you're encouraged each week uh, to hear the songs of praise and from the Lord that He gives. As we come to His Word this morning, I want to spend just a couple of minutes in prayer praying on this day for the Lord to show himself to us as that that true father, to overcome the imperfections and the shortcomings of even the best of our earthly fathers, and to lead us to himself in that deep and rich way. All of us have a longing created within us for a father's love. We desire it and we look for it. And that's why uh, in this life, the pains and the wounds of a father hit so deeply. And it's why God invites us into relationship with him and adopts us as sons and daughters. So let's come now to the king, our creator, our savior, and our father. Let's pray. Father, we do come And we worship you today. We come today and we are thankful that we're given opportunity in this life uh, to celebrate fatherhood. To celebrate the beauty uh, of the true father. Hallmark had no idea what they were creating in the cosmos by setting apart a day for us to consider our true Father. And so we worship you, we celebrate you, we thank you for who you are, for the safety and the strong refuge that you are, that we can come and hide ourselves under the pinions of your wings, that we can find fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the family that you have created through Christ, our elder brother, that we have a hope that transcends this life and an assurance into the life to come. And Father, we pray today that those of us whom you have set in places of fatherhood would reflect our heavenly Father, that we would be men of courage and of strength, but men of mercy and of grace, men of deep and profound conviction but men who are able to dialogue across a table, to understand the confusion of the world, and to, with winsome words and with, with the hope of the gospel, point them to the true life that comes in Christ. Father, we thank you for your many blessings in this life. And we thank you now that as we come to your word, You promised to open it to us by your Spirit. So would you now speak to us for your children. Listen attentively and expectantly. Amen. This week was a good week. I appreciate the opportunity that you afforded to me and to uh, Tim Pitzer uh, to go to Atlanta uh, with our wives to be a part of our General Assembly meetings. It's the annual gathering of our denomination, and I am excited to be able to report back to you uh, that we're a part of a wonderful denomination. 
that we have our issues and we have our stuff. Everybody does. But the fact that we are a part of a group of churches that has a passion for God's Word and for the truth of God's Word, a passion for worship, a passion for sound biblical teaching and an engagement with our culture is exciting. It was a movement within our denomination over these last several years that the Lord is doing to see uh, this church that began uh, in the southern part of the United States uh, in the 1970s expand across the country and across the world, uh, to see some of those divides that have kept us apart uh, break down. I was able to share with you last year that for the very first time, Uh, We had a brother who is of Korean uh, background to be the moderator of our denomination. And this year we had an African-American brother be the moderator of our uh, denomination. And to to see these uh, walls breaking down and to see the embrace, uh, to be a part of worship. It was kind of funny, quite actually. Worship, I guess, shouldn't be funny. Uh, But to stand there Friday morning... And there was a worship team from one of the Atlanta churches in uh, the city and from a more urban area and a fully integrated mixed uh, worship team uh, racially. And um, to hear the songs that were being sung and at one point uh, the guitarist break out into freestyle rap uh, about the profound justification that we have in Christ by grace alone through faith alone uh, in him and to see the buttoned up folks standing out there going, what did, what did he just say? <laughs> the, to hear the, the wealth of theology mixed into an expression uh, that is so important to be heard within our churches. To hear good debate on issues that uh, we disagree on, but that we approach uh, together. I hope that you're encouraged in that. So many people are afraid of being a part of a denomination. Uh, because of what's happened. And I hear, not regularly anymore, but I still hear, why don't we take Presbyterian off uh, of our sign? Uh, Let's just be Hilton Head Church or change the name uh, somehow. And my statement is, I want to make sure that we reclaim a great name and that we remind the world that Presbyterianism isn't a bad thing, that we are people of the book and that we come back to the book as we are now uh, to... To learn from the Lord. So keep praying for our church. Keep praying that it would have a profound impact in the world and we would see more and more people coming uh, to faith in Christ. So with that, this morning we approach God's Word and we are coming to Psalm 37 this morning. I believe that in the e-news this week it was printed for you or given a list of where we're going uh, with all the different psalms that are going to be touched on. So you can read ahead. You can prepare uh, yourself. And this week, uh, this psalm, uh, we are going to be focusing mainly on the first uh, line, unpacking the rest of it. Uh, But the first line there, uh, which says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Don't fret yourself uh, over what's going on in the world. And so we're going to be looking uh, this morning at the problem of unbelief and as it shows itself in envy uh, towards those around us. 
Psalm 37 is an acrostic psalm. Each of the two, uh, the couplets that you see there uh, started with a different word or a different letter uh, within the Hebrew uh, alphabet. And Psalm 25, or verse 25, establishes uh, this psalm as a psalm written by a mature David. When he says that I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging uh, for bread. And it's written by David in his elder years after a lifetime of reflection, of considering and writing back to us that the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked, how they come together and how we wrestle with these issues of envy and of contentment with what the Lord has given to us. And so this morning, the outline will very simply be understanding uh, our envy, understanding what envy is, understanding our envy, uh, dealing with our envy, and then where to go uh, with our envy. So understanding our envy, why we need to deal with our envy, and then where to go with our envy. So first, understanding envy. I think it's important to come up with a working definition of envy, uh, to understand exactly what we're talking about so that we're all on the same uh, page. One of the barriers to being concerned for other people uh, is that we envy them. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. There are a couple of elements to the idea of envy. Uh, Envy has, as it were, one element that isn't negative, but a second element that takes the first and makes it uh, uh, evil or negative. Uh, the first element is an envy has within it uh, a, an element of desire. Uh, somebody has experienced an advantage or a benefit in life, and, and we want that to happen to uh, us. That doesn't necessarily make us envious. To say that somebody uh, has gotten married and we have a desire to be married doesn't mean I envy them. Somebody has succeeded in work and we want to succeed in work. It doesn't make us envious of them. It is a desire for something uh, that someone else has. So be careful uh, that all of those desires to say, hey, I wouldn't mind having that. Uh, Someone has a child. Somebody uh, succeeds and gets into the college that they want to get into, retire in a place that they want to retire. To say that that's bad is wrong. That's simply a desire. Uh, That doesn't make it wrong. But the other element, the fall and our sinful hearts playing upon that desire, that's what makes evil bad. It's that that desire then becomes tinged or hinted around uh, with resentment. That we don't just desire uh, what the other person has. We don't just desire, well, I would like to be married as well. I would like to have a child as well. I would like to succeed uh, in life. I I would like to be able to go on a vacation. But it's turned and it's darkened because we say, not only do I want that, but I resent them for having it. I resent the fact that they get to do that. They have that in their life. And I don't. That's where it turns. That's what makes that desire become envy. John Piper put it this way. Envy is a mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that another is enjoying it and you are not. 
It is that mingling of the desire for something and the resentment that someone else gets to enjoy it and you are not. Things aren't going so well for you, but things are going well for them and it just gnaws away deep down inside. And I'm sure none of you can relate with that at all. That you read the scriptures and it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. And you go, I hate that verse. I don't want to rejoice with those who rejoice because when I rejoice with those who rejoice, it reminds me that I don't have what they have and I desire what they have and I resent them and ultimately what we're going to see is I resent God for giving it to them and not giving it to me. Envy is a profound problem. Another way to look at envy is wanting somebody else's life. That we look and we want somebody else's life we see or we interpret that they have it better than we do. And instead of rejoicing for the good that they have, we weep over the fact that we don't have it. That we're obsessed and focused on the fact that we don't have those things. So we envy and it's wanting the aspects of this other person's life. But envy doesn't stop there. That wouldn't be good, but envy goes beyond that. It goes, and as I said, it moves into that resentment of who they are. That we look and somehow we interpret their prosperity. We interpret what they have as basically saying that they're great and I'm not. That they're better than me somehow. That I could never do that. That I could never be uh, that talented. I could never be that accomplished. Uh, Something must be profoundly and intrinsically wrong with me. And our society, it compounds this with the way that we view one another's lives. Social media, for all the wonderful things of social media to keep us tagged in uh, with one another, to see uh, what's going on with one another's lives, are snapshots that create within us a picture uh, of all the great that's going on. I mean, honestly, when was the last time you went to Instagram or you went to Facebook or you went to Twitter uh, and someone said, woke up this morning profoundly sad that my child is wrestling with addiction? Woke up this morning alone because my husband walked out on me today. Woke up today in this massive house that I have and my wife and I realized that the children never come to visit. Of course not. You see the picture of everybody at the beach. You see the picture of the food uh, that you wish you could eat. We see the snapshots uh, of the person's life and we don't realize uh, what's going on around it. We only see this little bit and all we can interpret it as is, I wish I had their life. I wish I had what they had because I look and I know that I put those pictures up on my, uh, my feed and I put them out there, but I know what's really going on. Because if anybody who really sees my life, they wouldn't think me so great. They wouldn't think my marriage so wonderful. They wouldn't think the lot that I have been given is something to be envied at all. And we live in a voyeuristic society where we peer into the lives of everybody else. 
I went to my Facebook feed this morning uh, and just was checking to see if it supported what I was going to say today. And one of the ads on my Facebook page, for whatever reason, uh, was, Bill, this yacht's for you. <laughs> like I can afford a 160-foot yacht. That I need a 160-foot yacht. That I've even seen one. But it's saying, Bill, this is for you. And I considered for a moment, I don't even have a boat. I wish I had a boat. But now any boat that I get is going to pale in comparison to that. So I guess I shouldn't even want a boat. Huh. That person must have done something wrong in order to afford a 160-foot yacht. They can't be a good person. If they were really a good person, they wouldn't spend their money on a yacht. They'd spend it on giving to the poor. They would do something more wonderful and righteous with it, like me. Because I don't spend my money on a boat, not because I could spend it on a boat, but I don't have it. But it still makes me feel better to say, if I did have it, I wouldn't buy a big boat. By the way, those of you who are boat owners, (laughs) I'm not saying anything about boat ownership. I'm simply saying that this morning, that was the little 90-second interchange that I had with a stupid ad that popped up on Facebook. And it reminded me of this. I'm really not satisfied with my life because somebody else always has a bigger and more wonderful and special life in my estimation than I do. Envy is a problem that we all have. So the question then becomes... Why do we need to deal with this envy? Why do we need to deal with it? Why do we need to consider it, to identify it, to define it, to recognize it in our lives, and then deal with it? Because for most people, and many people, we say, it's, it's just envy. It's not that big a deal. It's not like I've committed murder. It's not like I've committed adultery. It's not like I've stolen anything. It's just a little bit of envy. Everybody has a little bit of envy. Why are you preaching a whole sermon on envy? Why do I need to deal with envy? Well, here's the first point. It's not the only point, but it's the first point. The Bible prohibits envy. And if the Bible prohibits something, then we should recognize it and deal with it in our lives. I hope that we can agree that the Bible is clear on its teaching that envy is wrong. I'll just give you five texts off the top. Psalm 37, 1, don't envy. Psalm 73, 1, Proverbs 23, 17, Galatians 5, 26, 1 Peter 2, 1. All of them say uh, the same thing, don't be Envious, So it's not biblical to be envious. It's against the will of God for us to have envy in our lives. Listen to Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Psalm 73, 1 and 3, again. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, the Bible wouldn't prohibit something that wasn't a profound problem in all of humanity and wasn't something that was dangerous and destructive for us to have within our lives. Don't think that this is some arbitrary uh, rule that God placed out there. But God sees that part of the fall, really at the very heart of the fall, 
was envy and jealousy. And in that, it has infected and affected all humankind from that day forward. And it is destructive, and we need to deal with it. And it's against his beauty and glory and the gospel. But you see, it's not enough just for him. If we just left it there, you would walk away uh, with the weight of this moral teaching and say, oh no, the Bible says don't do it. I find myself doing it. I must not be a good Christian I don't know what to do. But there's more reasons for us to understand why we need to deal with envy. Uh, And the first, uh, another reason would be this. Uh, Envy, as with so many sins, hides itself. We need to deal with envy because most of us don't see envy in our lives. We don't recognize it. We we recognize some other things, uh, but we don't really see this one very often because it's too painful for us to identify. In order for us to identify envy in our lives, there has to be an admission that we feel small, that we feel little, that we feel jaded. Or, on the other side of it, uh, there has to be an admission that we're so overwhelmed with arrogance that our ego is saying, I deserve something better than what I currently have. God, you owe me more than this lot in life. And so that challenge of us either having to say, we think of ourselves way too highly or we think of ourselves way too lowly, uh, comes together and evil hides it in that way. So to say that we are envious is to admit something that is actually quite embarrassing to admit. And we don't like being embarrassed. We don't like being exposed. So envy hides itself. Another reason that we need to deal uh, with envy is not only because it's been prohibited by Scripture, uh, because it hides itself, but yet all of us wrestle with it, is because envy sabotages the enjoyment of our lives. Envy sabotages the enjoyment of our lives. When we are envious, when we wrestle with envy, we have a problem and difficulty rejoicing that we find ourselves always finding fault, that we're critical, that we can't just sit down and savor the moment. We can't just sit down and enjoy what's in front of us. There's always something wrong because we're always comparing ourselves. We're comparing our lot to everyone else. Therefore, envy literally poisons us psychologically and poisons us socially. Envy destroys our ability to rejoice, to say, this is awesome, to savor the moment. You know what it means to savor, right? What a lost concept in our culture. To take a bite uh, of that steak beautifully uh, prepared uh, and to sit in the ambiance of the moment uh, and to just soak in everything. To taste uh, the layers uh, of the flavor, the smoke, uh, to pair it uh, with the other food and the drink, and and to sit and then to look around uh, the table with friends and family and, and to just sit and savor the moment. Not looking forward to the next bite, not thinking about the last bite, but in that moment just going, this is so good. And not ruining it, by the way, with saying, I wish this moment could last forever. Because when you say that, you ruin the moment. 
You've asked too much of it. You've put too much weight on it. Just sitting and savoring. And envy takes away our ability to rejoice. It takes away our ability to savor. Because all of a sudden, we look up and we go, but they're experiencing something better and different. This isn't what I expected it to be. Envy poisons, and think about it this way, envy poisons and destroys our ability to appreciate even our own selves, our own bodies. We live in a culture that makes us envy the beautiful and the strong, the chiseled and the thin. It needs for us to envy the beautiful. You recognize that, right? Our culture is building upon and feeding this fact so that if you envy the beautiful, then you will spend your hard-earned money on becoming beautiful. If you envy what somebody else has, then you are a marketer's dream. I want what they have. Well, you can get it in four small payments of $50 each. Just come in and have this little thing tweaked on your body, and then you will be beautiful. Just do this. Just go to the gym. Just have all of this. It's a marketing strategy, and it bombards us with pictures of beauty or perceived beauty. So that when we look in the mirror, did you enjoy the mirror this morning? Honestly, did you enjoy your mirror this morning? Some of you should probably not answer that question. Oh, yeah, I'm awesome. I mean, I love looking at myself. Don't go narcissistic on me. But we look at the mirror and we're not satisfied. We look in the mirror and we envy what somebody else has. We can't enjoy it. We can't see that part of what we have of being able to look in the mirror and being able to simply celebrate the fact that I get to enjoy another Father's Day. That I've lived 50 years and all the experience. That the pains and the hurts and the delights and the loss of hair and the gray have all come at a cost, but a good cost of loving and working, of raising sons, of doing all of that. But instead, we look in the mirror and go, What in the world? (laughs) Praising God that I don't walk around with a mirror behind and going, wow, really? You see, envy takes that away. We can't enjoy an accomplishment because someone else has already accomplished more than we've accomplished. Joy and enjoyment are lost. Jonathan Edwards, the incredible American scholar and theologian and pastor, He wrote this in his famous sermon on envy. Never underestimate the spiritual power of envy. Adam and Eve, do you understand and recognize what happened? They got paradise. They got everything. They had everything. Perfect, eternal life, no disease, no hunger, beautiful paradise. They had it all. And God said, oh, just one thing. You can't have that tree. You can't eat the fruit of that tree. Everything else was perfect and it wasn't good enough. Envy turned the Garden of Eden into the world that we know today. 
They wanted something that they couldn't have. They desired something that they couldn't have. They were jealous for it. Never underestimate the power of envy. It could turn Eden into the world that we experience today. And it can do the same within your life. It has the power to destroy from the inside out. It has the power for us to interpret God saying, don't take this, don't touch that, don't do that, and failing to see all that we've been given in him. That's the power of envy, that it sabotages enjoyment. And another reason that we should deal with our envy, uh, the reason that we need to understand it more profoundly is if we understand our envy then we have a better understanding of our own hearts. If we understand our envy, if we become students of our envy, uh, if we research our envy, uh, we, become, we have a better understanding of our own hearts. If you want to understand what it, is, uh, what it is you look to instead of God for your identity, understand envy. If you want to understand what you look to for your justification, for your existence, Figure out your envies. What are you envying other people of? Because whatever you identify, what it is that they have, the toys that they have, the life that they have, the marriage that they have, the children that they have, the success that they have, the retirement that they have, the portfolio that they have, the grades that they have, the dates that they have, what the school that they get to go to, anything that we're envying, if you begin to identify that, you begin to see what I'm really saying is that I would be content and I would be happy and that my life would have meaning if that Savior was involved in my life. If the Savior of health and the Savior of looks and and the Savior of money and the Savior of whatever it is, that Savior is actively working as a pseudo-Savior in our lives and we're saying, I can't be content. God, I appreciate all that you're offering to me in Christ, but I can't be fully content unless I have this other Savior as well. And the thing about idols and the thing about pseudo-Saviors is that they demand and they demand and they demand and they never pay off. Come and get this, then you'll be happy. I wish I could do, it'd be very interesting to do a study of our area because I describe the low country in Hilton Head uh, as the end of the rainbow. If the American dream in our culture uh, is to work hard, uh, to succeed, and then to be able to retire earlier than later into a gorgeous and beautiful place where you have wonderful food, incredible scenery, people to take care of you, guess where we live? We live at the end of the American dream. We live in the place where I tell my boys, we live in a place where people save their money all year in order to come for a week. And I wondered if... There was an honest survey given to all of those who were here. Could they and all of us really say, I'm deeply and profoundly satisfied with my life? I'm satisfied with my life. You see, envy, it exposes our idols. Your true heart is being revealed when you envy because it shows that you are actually residing something that is actually residing deep within you as a functional savior in your life. Underneath envy, you are saying, if I had blank, then I would be happy. There would be meaning in my life. My life would be worth it. Envy reveals more than you realize. Therefore, 
Be a student of your envy. Don't deny your envy. Look at it. You go, what am I envying? And why am I envying that? Ask better questions. Part of my role in your life as your pastor is to encourage you and help you ask better questions. I can't be with you in every situation in life, but I can encourage you. And parents, part of your function and role in your children's lives and spouses is to help them ask better questions. To, to look and to go, not just this is wrong, I shouldn't envy, but why am I envying? What's rooting around down there? What's the functional savior uh, that's being threatened down there by someone else's success? And then to identify it and then be able to dismantle it, analyze it, recognize it, map it out. Let it lead you down to a deeper place into your life. And that takes time, folks. And it takes consideration, It takes that spending of moments with the Lord. And so then once you begin to identify it and you identify your envy, where do you take it? And we'll end here. So we have seen and said that we understand what envy is, that we need to deal with our envy, but where do we take it? And the psalmist in Psalm 37 shows where to take it. First, you take it up to your hope of the future glory that we have. And second, you take it down to the consideration Uh, of the wicked. You take it to your end and their end. He says, listen, here's what you need to do. First, take your envy up into the hope of our future. Trust in the Lord, verses 3 and 4, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires uh, of your heart. He says this, when you begin to look at the world and you start to envy, think for a moment, wait, pause, consider your own life. Consider the blessings that you have in Christ. Consider what the Lord has done for you. And one of them is right here. He gives you the desires of your heart. And not like Oprah Winfrey said on her show. Hey, just want it and God will give you the desires of your heart. That's not it. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Just come to God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. No, what this passage is saying, it doesn't mean that God will give you any foolish thing that we long for. Praise God for that. How many of you are so thankful, as the song goes, for unanswered prayers? Man, we wouldn't be where we are. And that are some of you are going, yeah, I'm where I am because of foolish prayers. But you see, it means that we are delighting in the Lord. And if we're delighting in the Lord and longing after him, he will give us the thing that we desire most, and that's him. That he becomes the object of our delight. That he becomes the deep desire of the heart. So where do we take our envy? We take it to him and say, you have said that you've given us all of who you are. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And recognize this, those who love the Lord, God will act on your behalf. He's not going to remain silent. He is there and he will pursue you. He is not incompetent in his action. He will vindicate you and vindicate your name and care for you. Remember verse 9. Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. That we gain something, not actual land per se, but we gain a promised land. We gain heaven and earth And all that's given to us, and we will never be cut off from him. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. 
We gain shalom. We gain peace with God through Christ, uh, our Savior. We have been given immeasurably more than we ever could have asked or imagined in Christ, and we deserve none of it. So when we start to deal with our envy, make sure you take your envy and you throw it up against what you know that you already have. And this psalm is chock full of it, and the rest of Scripture is chock full of it, that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that your name has been written indelibly upon the Lamb's book of life, that He has blessed you in all of these ways. And the second thing that you need to do is consider the end of those things that you envy. It's very difficult for most of us to take the long view because we're so consumed with the present. But the psalmist encourages us to consider the long view. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? Because they'll soon fade. They'll be like the grass that was there and it's gone afterwards. Verse 7 and 8. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Verse 9, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. But it said they're going to be cut off. That those who not just prosper, that those who prosper without the Lord, doesn't mean that prosperity is a bad thing or that wealth is a bad thing or that having all the accoutrements of life is a bad thing. But it's saying having it without the Lord is. And in just a little while, verse 10, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Part of the great problem within the church is that we as followers of Christ look around to the world that doesn't love him and we want what they have. We desire what they have. And the psalmist says, make sure that your heart is broken for what they really have. And what they really have is absolutely nothing. That all that they have is the enjoyment of this life. And in this life, there is not satisfaction enough to carry you through to eternity. So how do we receive these blessings? How do we know that we're righteous and wicked? And this is where I'll end. It's simply this. There are only two types of people in the world. There's the natural man and there's the spiritual man. There's the righteous, there's the wicked. There is the follower of Christ, and there is not the follower of Christ. It's the only line of demarcation in the world. And those who are blessed by God are those who are called righteous, are those who are called his own, and those who resist Christ, those who uh, say no to him, are the ones who are the wicked. And so how do you move from the wicked to the righteous? Well, it's not by your works, but it's by the work of the king on your behalf. It's through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone in him. It's by saying uh, that you are my satisfaction, that you are my strength. It's by coming there. So if you find yourself this morning, Matt, you guys can come on up. If you find yourself this morning in a place of wondering, well, am I righteous or am I wicked? Settle that issue. Settle that issue. Because the end of the righteous is a beautiful thing and the end of the wicked is not. And the way to move from one to the other, from wickedness to righteousness, from natural to spiritual, is through the beauty of the gospel, of believing that Christ died for us on our behalf and stands for us now. And in him we have gained all things and there is no need to ever be envious again. Let's pray.